Hello and welcome again to Phoenix Talk Radio, the voice of the rise. My name is Andrew Burkham. I'm here to share some time with you and talk about what's going on in the art scene in the Central Valley of California and beyond. Here with me, as always, is my friend Rob Hypes. Rob Hypes, say hi to the people. Hello. Hi, Andrew. Rob, I uh, I had to do the show without you this week just because of the equipment malfunction. Not this week, but yeah. last week. Uh, tell me, what's, what's what's been going on in your week since the last time we got together? Well, let's see here. Uh, it's been over a week. Uh, mainly, uh, just been gearing up for a very busy uh, October for Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Taking some a little bit of downtime. I went to a wedding over the weekend. That's right. Uh, Mr. Travis Walsh got married. I think you were there. Yeah, I, I was definitely there. What was, what's his last name now? What what is oh, I Da Vinci. Da Vinci. He I, I got okay, he's Travis he, Da Vinci, I believe, <laughs> is his new name. That's great. Yeah, Travis <laughs> and Amy Da Vinci. Yep. Um and they're painting now, doing a lot of painting. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. I I approve of that. Yeah. All right. So topic of the week. I think it's time we did the topic of the week. We're going to talk about uh, something that's topical this week. And you know what? This topic of the week comes to you from our friend James McIntyre. I don't uh, know if you, you know this guy. I am aware of him. Have you met this guy? A couple times. Yeah. He's in a he's in a show right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was in a show most, well, not most recently, but recently he was in a show with us as oh, well. Oh, that James McIntyre. Yeah, you know, yes. the James McIntyre. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so James, he he tweeted last night, and one of the and I don't know maybe it wasn't last night or the night before. One of the things that he tweeted was the, his least favorite as an actor. His least favorite part of being in a show is having to write a bio for the show. <laughs> now between you and me, I think we've probably collectively written uh, three or four hundred thousand bios. Yeah, right. That yeah. would be my guess. Rough estimate, anyway. Yeah. So I thought today we would do a practical topic for our actors who are out in the audience because I'm I'm the same way. A lot of times, even today, I get to the bio writing process and I think, ah, oh, geez. What am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do now? How am I going to make this more interesting than just what I do every time? So I thought, let's let's have a little chat about how to write a good bio and some things we could do maybe to to make an interesting bio that people might want to read in a program. Hmm. What are your What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I I like my bios short mm-hmm. and sweet with just enough information for the audience. Because for me, okay, one, Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone really likes writing bios. I've never met like a performer that's all like, oh, I can't wait to write the bio for this. Right. uh, The bio is never for the performers. It's always for the audience, right? It's for the audience to have an idea of, you know, feeling like they're actually getting to know the performer. Right. Right. They want to make a connection beyond just being in the audience and seeing someone on stage. Mm Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, a good bio is a bio that establishes that connection and is out very quickly right. and doesn't try to overstay its welcome. Yeah. So that, that's, what I, that's what I look for in a really good bio. Give me enough information about you. Mm-hmm. Let me feel like I know you. Now let me move on to the next one. Absolutely. And I'm the same, you know, it's one of those things that we get caught in is, you know, here's a list of all the stuff that I've done in the past. And I I don't, I don't like that. I like to, I I hate that. I hate it too. I hate, I hate, yeah. yeah, It's it's, because it's not a resume, right? The audience doesn't want to see, they don't want to read your resume. Sometimes I will like, especially because my look could change wildly, right? From Uncle Fester to or whatever else it was that I that we did in that, that same year, right? So my look could change wildly from one place to the next. So I I often like to touch one or two things that I've done that the audience may have seen recently, just so they can recall and go back and go, oh yeah, that's I know that guy from this show. I saw him in this. I liked him in that. I hated him in, in that other thing. Um, and that gives them some touch points. I like to tell them who I am, where I'm from. I like to tell them, you know, Maybe something about my family, like the names of my family and where I live, and that's that's it for me. Yeah. Well, you know, I go see, I go see these tours, right, or Mm -hmm. the you know these big professional shows, and I look at the. I don't even I don't even really look at the programs much in the big professional shows because all the bios are just well, this person played 
you know, Javert and the Turing production number three of right. Les Mis and then this and this. And I'm like, oh, okay, I don't care. Right. I, I hope you're good in this show. This is the show that I came to see. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what you played when you played it. And, you know, that's all the bios are. They're like, you know, this, they're like an inch thick worth of your credits. And really, mm-hmm. I don't care about your credits. I'm sorry. Mm. There's a certain amount of narcissism in, in writing a bio, I think. And I think that's why some people are uncomfortable. They don't want to come across as narcissistic or come across as, you know, yeah, selling themselves, even though that's kind of what acting is, really. You know, you're, just, you're selling yourselves to the public, you know. Right. Uh, I like a, a bio, like you introduce me uh, in community theater. I like to know what you do for a living. Mm, that's true. I like that idea. I like to get a certain sense of your family, maybe a quote yeah, or something. And on the other hand... Mm-hmm. I don't like really flippant bios. I don't like bios that are right. just there to be like, so-and-so's doing a show. They wrote another bio. Here's yeah. a bio that this person wrote. Blah, 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 blah. Exactly. That kind of just seems like you're kind of just throwing a certain finger up to the rest of the program making industry. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. And it's, you know, because you do have, especially in community theater, right? You've got, you've got some people where this is, you know, this is their chance to shine, and so it, it for them it really is about the experience of being able to say not necessarily brag about themselves but say hey that you know this is this is who I am and I'm a I'm a part of this thing that's cool. And so I agree and I think that comes probably most commonly from those of us who have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. And we're just tired of rewriting the same bio over and over again. So I can I can comprehend both sides but but yeah, I'm with you on that. You know the, the thing with bios um, one, I've never, I've yet to meet someone that actually enjoys making programs. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've ever met someone that actually enjoys putting the programs together. It's a necessary part yeah. of the, the theater art going experience where you, you know, you have something in your hand that you can read. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a thankless job to put together a program. Yeah. Uh, and very often uh, putting together a program means that uh, basically all you deal with is none of, no praise, right? all of the criticism. Because someone that turned in their bio five weeks ago all of a sudden said, oh, by the way, right. this uh, this is wrong. And you go, <laughs> well, then why did you write it wrong? <laughs> so the entire process itself is, is, is nerve-wracking to me anyway. Writing the bio, putting together the program, it's, it's all... Maybe that's our topic. Maybe I was wrong about, about what our topic is. Maybe I thought that our topic was practically how do we help actors, community actors, write bios. But maybe the topic is really what are we going to do about programs? Like how are we going to get rid of the scourge. the scourge of programs? What do we do? Now, we've talked about this. We've talked about this in some of the meetings that we've had with, with our, you know, our creative friends. And one of the things that we've said is let's move the programs off a piece of paper and make them electronic. Yeah. Or, or something different, right? You know, maybe, right. maybe it's on a projection screen or something mm-hmm. like before the show, like you have a chance to actually see them or, like, you know, maybe it's, you know, maybe you don't have to have like that physical piece of paper in your hand. Uh, I mean, I understand like, you know, you need the program because, you know, your theater space is selling ads and the sponsorships, sure. mm-hmm. right? So you need to be able to, be able to give a thank you and to give notice to your sponsors and your advertisers. I mean, but, you could almost do you could do that on screen as well. Yeah, you know, either on an app that people have on their devices that they're able to you know to activate, or just with a projection. I mean, that's what they do at the movie theater, right? Yeah, absolutely. People yeah. are paying you know what, how many hundreds of dollars a month to advertise in front of those movies, and they just get the however many seconds of screen time they get. Absolutely. And well, here's the thing. I mean, and we can ask even our live audience, right? Do you actually like programs? Why do you like them? Yes. Please give us give us your feedback because I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. So for those of you who are in the live audience right now, uh, hit us up here in the chat on the Facebook Live feed. Let us know what you think about programs. Do you do you look at them? Do you keep them? Now, I have a ton of programs around. I've collected programs from shows that I've done over the years. I don't know why, uh, but I have them around. Do you know where? I don't. See? I was just looking. I thought I did, but then I looked over there, and it was gone. I'm sure my wife probably right. does. She's the keeper of my mess. And, and there, so. But there are people that love to collect yeah. the programs, mm-hmm. right? They mm-hmm. love to collect the programs. I know a few patrons in Merced, like I've you know, known them for a decade, mm-hmm. over a decade, and you know they'll have a program they'll make the cast sign it they'll right. keep it as a 
keepsake. And I think that again, that that that's so that's a one of the benefits of having a program, right? Mm-hmm. Being able to have a keepsake from the the show that you did. Uh, going all electronic or doing just a projection screen, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of negate that. Right, right. That is true, and and I can see that. But what are the percentages? Like, <sighs> I would like to know, like, what do you do with your program, right? You go see a show. Do you keep, like, if you go see a show, right, Andrew? Mm-hmm. What do you do afterwards with your program? Does it go in the trash, or does it somehow, like me, you find it six months later in your car, yeah, no, that's exactly it. It's probably in my trunk. Yeah, and yeah. then you throw it out, and then I throw it away. Yeah, yeah exactly, because it it's been destroyed by by that point. Um, it's funny. I think about again, just pulling from my immediate experience. I'm working house at the Prospect Theater Project downtown here in Modesto, and I would say probably seventy five percent of the programs that I hand out at the beginning of the show are given back to me at the end of the show. For whatever reason, patrons there are really good about recycling programs. Like, I, I literally don't know who started this or what, but I think it's great, you know, because it reduces printing th- costs for yeah. the theater, obviously. And it reduces paper waste overall, which is which is a good thing. But it's crazy. Yeah, like, literally people will come out of that theater, and I would say at least three quarters of them will, will just set their program right back where they got it in the first place. And most of them are in pretty good condition. Yeah. Yeah. So. They can be reused. And that, and that, right. And that also is a question about the hidden, one of the hidden costs of theater, mm-hmm. which I don't think a lot of people think of is printing costs yeah. for the programs that you're doing. True. Like, you know, look at it this way. We've all been to Staples lately mm-hmm. or, or some sort of other printing company. Mm-hmm. We use their printer. How much, how much, are you charged like just me personally, like a three page, you know, color? Right. You know, it's going to cost me like a dollar fifty, right? Easily. Just for one. Yeah. One three pager, like a dollar fifty, two bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, multiply that by, you know, what, sixteen hundred? Multiply, you know, yeah. anything along those lines. And, you know, it, over the course of a season, your printing costs can just kind of shoot up there just by printing out these scourges of art right exactly so i guess the middle ground is maybe what we what we look at doing is do we create a limited number of physical programs like keepsakes and offer them at the door does that become you know i hate especially in community theater Mm -hmm. i hate creating like a premium value thing that just that doesn't quite sit right to me with our audience yeah but do you charge a dollar or two to offset some of the printing cost or do you just say hey listen there's only 20 physical programs that are available per performance and now you have to fight to the death yeah and then yeah and we'll be yeah here's a knife and uh, it's it's part of the after show it's drawing it's it's what we've been talking about the last few weeks getting the audience more involved Mm-hmm. Uh, and the and the creation. So after the show, there's a duel. Yes, like a battle royale. Yes, for the programs. Any, for anyone that wants a program, the surviving members walk away with a free program. I feel good about that. I don't know how this could go wrong. No, it's it seems like it's a. We can mix that with the other idea that we had today, which is opening the axe throwing bar. I like that a lot. Right. So we could actually just have them throw axes at each other. Mm-hmm. Like kind of like a really weird adult version of dodgeball. I like it. I feel good about this. Some people are dodging it. I think we've just uncovered, like, I think something, an opportunity that could potentially make millions of dollars. I agree. And solving the program issue, I think we just created a business that can make millions of dollars. Yeah. I think we, we just solved one of what I consider to be one of the major problems of modern theater. The program. Which is the program issue. Solved by... Our axe-throwing battle royale. <laughs> this is why people watch this show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, to which point, uh, Debbie just joined. And Debbie, as you know, is a, a patron of ours and, mm-hmm. a, and a sponsor and supporter of ours. One of the things I know that she's really into is we did this very early on with Phoenix a lot. And it's something we need to get back to because I think it was it was very successful and very engaging with our audience. But especially around when we did uh, Judas Iscariot, mm-hmm. there was a lot of kind of intrigue that led up to that and a lot of kind of puzzle stuff that was in it to the point where you actually published a, a puzzle on as a part of the, the program itself, right? Yes. Yeah. So I know there's something to be said for that too, right? How do we make the programs more interesting than just a list of names and faces and then an ad section? 
maybe there's maybe there's some potential to do that. Now that again, that can be done in electronic form just fine. Absolutely. Yeah, to engage, you know, do something that's a little different. Like everyone has the same program, right? I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's kind of the standard model of. Uh, here's the the title page. Here's the cast list. Here's like every you know interspersed with like advertisements throughout and sponsorships throughout. And then you know here are the the sponsor pages. Some pages are either all in color or there's you know specific pages that are in color. I don't know. Maybe, maybe find ways to um to break that up a little bit. Find ways to engage your audience. Make them go further. It's a uh, uh, what are those what are those things that like TV shows like after loss, they released all these other TV shows and every one of those TV shows had like a special online component where you had, yes, to, yeah. that was, had a specific name. Um, there's an, so I, the, what I, what I'm thinking of is, is it, what are called ARGs, which are alternate reality games. That's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking. So like, uh, Halo had one of these that was, yeah. it was when, uh, I think Halo three, when it released, they ran an ARG for it. Um, Lost had one that went along with it as well. So yeah, these are great, great things. But yeah, those ARGs, and that's something else that we need to explore because it's another active participatory theater. Yeah, absolutely. That we, typically it's only undertaken by like very large groups that have access to a ton of resources, but you know what? We can do that kind of stuff. And we a smaller version of it. And you know, there's something to be said for engaging your audience mm-hmm. outside of the one moment that they come every month right to come see a show yep like they get engaged you know throughout the month and like and you know so they have something not only to look forward to like they'll look forward to your next event coming up in a month or two but now they have something that's going to kind of tide them over until mm-hmm. your next event right so it's going to kind of like make them think and still engage with the with your theater with your arts organization and just kind of continue on and that something like that is something that I'm really interested in exploring more, you know, something along those lines that the show doesn't necessarily stop outside of the theater walls. Right, right. You know, the art doesn't necessarily stop. You're constantly being engaged for more. Yep. Yeah, because the one thing, one of the things you want to do as a, as a production company is you want people to be thinking and talking and engaging around whatever the active art is once they walk outside those doors. If we can tie everything, all of our collateral into that, uh, how much more effective are we as as artists, right? Yeah. And that's, I think that's big in the conversation right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's time, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another, it's time for another trip around the valley. Let's take a trip. Are you ready, Rob? I'm ready. We're going to start uh, with something that we've plugged a few different times. Uh, this is Stan State. This is Under Milkwood. The blurb from their website, 10 college actors with director John Mayer at the helm take on over 60 different characters in a fully immersive ensemble piece that tells the story of a quaint Welsh village. See Dylan Thomas' words come to life at CSU Stanislaus, October 4th through the 14th, Friday through Sunday at 8 p.m. Sundays at 2 p.m. Tickets are available on the CSU Stan website or by calling the box office at 209-667-3782. Uh, I don't know that we have a whole bunch more to say about that, but there's a there's a plug for it. Go see it. How about that? Just try and go see something. This. Yeah. Uh, when when is it? When's the show open? It is. It opens on October fourth. All right. Yeah. October fourth. Perfect. Go see the show under Milkwood CSU. Yeah. Just go see it. Yeah. Go see it. You you uh, will like it. I I can almost promise you that. They have amazing bios. They do. They have the best bios. They have there. the best bios in so the Central good. Valley. Their bios are so good. There. Okay, next thing that's coming down the pipe. Auditions for Titus Andronicus at Merced College Theater. This is October 20th. They're asking you to bring a one monologue, a a one monologue, one monologue that is one minute long. They're asking you to bring a one minute monologue, and then there will also be cold readings from the script on the day. Uh, Performances are January 18th through 27th. Titus Andronicus. I'm excited. Rob Hypes, Titus Andronicus. Nobody does Titus Andronicus. I know. I'm, I am really interested at how they're going to put that up. Yeah, me too. Like so much so that I'm honestly cons- like I'm, I'm juggling possibly going to auditions yeah. because I might just like I kind of would really desperately like it's it's a I don't think I've ever seen Titus Andronicus. I have never seen it live in my life. So this is uh this is a big deal. Yeah, and this is uh. 
it's a great introductory Shakespeare for those of you that are new to Shakespeare. Yeah, it's it's very easily the lightest of his works. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's uh, it's very comedic. Yeah, it's a, um, it's a love story basically. Basically, right? Kind of, I would liken it to the Notebook. Yeah, it's it's essentially the Notebook, uh, or uh, or uh, if you're Blood. like more of the English fair, Love Actually. Love Actually. Yeah. Comma. So. Yeah. So it's, it's so if you like one of those two movies, Titus Andronicus is is perfect for you. It's for you. It's for you. Bring the kids. Uh, bring the kids. Bring the family. Two auditions. Two auditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen Heilbach's the director of Titus, uh, going up in January, mm-hmm. and uh, we've already already talked about how we love her as a director and the work that she does. Yep. And mm-hmm. it's a really ambitious piece. It's I think it's incredible uh, the shows that they selected. That Merced College selected to do mm-hmm. this year, really ambitious pieces, uh, really amazing work. So, and get out there and audition for Merced College. I think if you are interested in Shakespeare whatsoever, I mean, come on. Like you and I said, I've never seen it live. You've never seen it live. I've definitely never been in a production. Definitely go out there and, and audition. Yep, absolutely. So that's October twentieth, and uh, you should go audition for that. There's other stuff going on October twentieth. We'll talk about that. In a little bit, but it does not coincide, so you don't have to worry. This is from, I believe it starts at 11. Is, uh, auditions like 11 to 2, I think okay. is what they've got listed for that. Uh, number three is the the Mystery Rats Maze podcast. Now, have you heard of this? No. Okay, so this is a podcast. It comes out of the Central Valley, down at the, the southern end of the Central Valley. And it's it's a podcast that is worked on by entertainment personalities from the Central Valley. So actors, directors, writers from the Central Valley. And they release a... I'm not sure what their release schedule is exactly for it, but the most recent episode has just come out. It's... They either do a a short mystery story. So it's it's a narrated podcast. It's very well produced. Uh, I listened to... I listened through some of the episodes this morning. It's very well produced. They either do a, a short mystery story or, in some cases, just like the first chapter of a mystery novel to kind of entice people to to read more about it. This most recent episode is the first chapter of Murder at the Driscoll by Kathleen Casca, uh, read by local actor Casey Ballard. So oh. I am fascinated by this thing. I, I, I need to get more information, but I did want to let people know it's out there. It's, uh, the mis- again, the mystery rat maze podcast and you can search for that on apple Podcasts. they're on podbean is their is their hosting service so is it they have the so basically there's a story mm-hmm. and someone kind of narrates the story yeah. like yeah. A, like an audiobook kind of feel that's exactly what it is it's it's just it's just like listening to an audiobook and it's uh like i said it's well produced the music is good the narration is good the um, just the the overall production quality is really really strong, and so uh, it's it's good to see other podcasting going on out there. I mean, I know we're not the the Phoenix Podcast Network is not the only game in town in the Central Valley. Not yet. Not well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we haven't swallowed all Central <laughs> Valley podcasts, uh, but uh, it's it's really good to see kind of that going on. I'm hoping my uh, hope that I have is that those of us who are, who are in the podcasting scene in the Central Valley. We'll eventually be able to get some kind of get together. Like if you go, there's a couple things. There's PodCon, PodCon, and there are some other conventions that that go on on a yearly basis. And these are meetings of people who podcast, and it's great because you can. It's you know, it's like a Comic Con thing where yeah. you can go and you can sit through a workshop, and maybe they'll talk about recording techniques or or you know, publishing techniques and things like that. I think it would be really great to have something like that happen here in the Central Valley. And so that's something, uh, just as a part of the mission of the Phoenix Podcast Network, uh, we're going to make that happen at some point. And so what's what's the name of the podcast one more time? It is the Mystery Rats Maze Podcast. Excellent. And you can, again, it's very searchable. You can find that uh, any number of ways. Moving on. Uh, number four, Little Shop of Horrors um, opens next Friday and runs through Halloween. We have a couple of friends in that uh, down at Playhouse Merced, so that's you know not. I love that show. I mean, there's not much you can say about Little Horror, Little Shop of Horrors, except that it's the most fun thing on stage most of the time. Yeah, it's a blast. I, I love that yeah. show. I love that the music of that show mm-hmm. is incredible. Seeing a, a puppeteered plant like that, super fun. You know, yeah, it's it's not quite under the scale of King Kong like we discussed. 
It's not quite King Kong. Not quite King Kong. It's, it's but close, though. It's close. Yeah, it's very close. Uh, so it's a great show. And if I, <laughs> The Little Shop is one of those shows that if you have not seen it yet, what have you been doing with your life? Right. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, Little Shop of Horrors, I mean, it captures every note of that and more in the musical. Again, if you've seen if you've seen the movie, still go see the musical because Absolutely. it's different. Slightly in different. In a lot of very interesting ways. Yeah. Uh, it's got a, a great cast over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Abby Rowe was yeah. playing Audrey. James McIntyre, who gave us our our topic tweet that we never answered for him successfully. He plays um, um, Seymour. It's got a great cast. I know the plant looks great. So, you know, it's go out there and see the show. It's going to be fantastic. Absolutely. Good, good. October 13th, What Rough Beast. Yes. We've talked about this a few times. This is one of ours. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. I saw a little bit of rehearsal and their photo shoot the other day. It was super cool. Yeah. It was just really interesting. I heard two of the different kind of selections of music that they'd chosen. Uh, I saw some of the dancing. Really, really cool. Just really interesting. I saw kind of where they're going with like costumes, makeup, hair kind of feel. It's going to be kind of an interesting, it's been an interesting classroom experience, I think, for those students. And I think it's, again, as we kind of discussed our very first podcast, it's interesting to throw young adults, young students, and just basically making them, treating them as performers that they are. Right. And giving them a project that uh, we don't treat them as kids. We treat them as the performers that they are. So it's been really fantastic watching uh, as much as I've been able to see. So good. I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. I think that's going to be amazing. It also coincides the same day is our our next quick exposure. Yes. So, and those those two performances are are they are they linked? Yeah, that, that's I the idea that, is that they're they're one, it's one performance, one right? One performance, yeah. and I know that we're still looking for uh, dancers or dance groups, okay. uh, singer songwriters, bands, uh, even uh, uh, rap artists, people to create the music. And it's a great, it's a going to be, I think, a really interesting event where we grab the the singing artist first. They get to write an original piece. That piece then gets interpreted by the dancers, the dance groups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then all kind of culminates on that on that Saturday. So we're still looking for artists for that. So if you're interested, just uh, go to our Facebook and uh, drop us a line. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm excited. My uh, my son is signed up to do that. Really? Yeah. He's a my son is a is a budding composer. Okay. Yeah, and so he's going to be one of the uh, one of the the musical artists. Excellent. In that thing. So I'm very excited to see what he does with that. Uh, let's see. That is Quick Exposure, October 13th. That's at the Mac, along with the What Rough Beast performance as well. October 20th. Uh, we have a thing that we call Phoenix and Chill. Yes. Are we talking about this? Yeah, we can. Are we okay? I, di- I didn't know how much we're how much of this we're letting out into the wild yet. No, I, I have no okay. problem talking. I mean, okay. basically, we're just throwing a party. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the idea. It's just because like we a, want to. It's kind of a you know like a, a BYOB kind of thing. Yeah, uh, you can bring your own food. Uh, it's an opportunity uh, for community members and artists to meet with uh, members of Phoenix, talk mm-hmm. to them. We can all we all kind of. Talk a little bit, have a, you know, even like a little bit of a discussion about arts and, you know, things that they, ideas that they may have, mm-hmm. uh, things that they want to kind of try and do in the future. And then we culminate the whole evening with a a stage reading of everyone's favorite movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I would consider to be one of the greater literary works of the, of the, was it the 20th century, 21st century? Of all time. Well, of all time, certainly, but definitely w- of the last of the last millennium. Yeah, I would yeah. liken it to. It's very much like the work of you know the ancient uh, Greek playwrights. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I would definitely write. It rivals most of Shakespeare's work. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, just in the language itself, it it pretty much takes Shakespeare off of the uh, takes him off of the board. Yeah, yeah. And so, and the, you know, it has been made into a very successful movie franchise yep. movie, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, uh, I think, one of the better made movies that I've ever seen. Oh, I would agree. I mean, just from the standpoint of not only the writing, which is phenomenal, but the the acting, the performances are are some of the greatest that I've ever seen. In my I life. mean, you, yeah. you have Citizen Kane, yeah. Psycho, mm-hmm. this. Yeah, agreed. And uh, so I think it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I think people are going to have a really good time when they see it. 
Yeah, I agree. So yeah, come out. That's October 20th. And it's free. And it's free, right? It's absolutely free. So that's at the Mac uh, down in Merced, and it's Phoenix and Chill. Come and chat with the uh, the Phoenix Creative Collective. We'll have some good art talk, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll read one of the classics for you. Absolutely. So that's good. Uh, let's see here. Next, number eight on my list is the Operation Podcast. So this is another podcast that's coming out. This is actually a it's a production of the Phoenix Podcast Network, and this is something that I've personally been working on for. Um, it's been about three months that I've been working on just this this one episode here. So I'm very very excited for that. Um, the Operation Podcast is it is a scripted audio drama. Right, so it's a radio play, mm-hmm. basically, but it's got a little bit of a left turn that I haven't seen, and I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of audio drama. It's got a little bit of a less left turn that I haven't seen yet. What I like to call the operation is it's an escape room for your ears. All right, right. So the idea is that every episode of the operation, you are a participant in that there are puzzles and riddles and mysteries to be solved in the audio from the episode itself. And so people who listen with a very sharp ear or people who, you know, really get into that. And that's where this is where the, the Debbies of the world um, definitely, uh, definitely play in. But if you listen to this closely, you'll be able to solve and actually progress through the story outside of the story. So when we talked about alternate reality games, mm-hmm. this is really kind of my version of an ARG. Uh, because there will be additional content for people who are able to unlock the puzzles. But you'll also be able to kind of just listen to it, and it'll be an interesting mystery to listen to as yeah. well. So that's going on. The voice talent that I that's in this first episode is Noelle Chandler. Okay. So she has recorded voiceover for it. And I think it's just, I think it's, I think it's a fun concept, so I'm excited to see where it goes. And when does that drop? That drops this Saturday. That's September 29th. Uh, so you will see that probably, you know, probably right in the middle of the day at some point. And yeah, it's the episode's all pretty much all mastered and ready to go. So get out your pencil and your paper and your headphones and be prepared for the Operation Podcast starting September 29th. Keeping with the, the radio drama theme, uh, the PTP Radio Cavalcade Players, their Halloween edition. Uh, that I will also be appearing in. This is October 27th. This is at the Prospect Theater Project in downtown Modesto. This is... So what this group does is they reproduce old radio broadcasts, but they do it in front of a live audience. And so what you have is you have this really interesting kind of nostalgic feel. We have a tendency to dress when we dress. We don't dress in costume for the characters of the shows that we're in, but we dress as if we were radio performers in the 1930s and 40s. And so you'll see, you know, you'll see some kind of vintage costume there. You'll hear a lot of a lot of crazy voices. You'll see sound effects being produced live. I mean, last time we we had this dummy that we threw on this leather couch to like simulate someone falling down the stairs. It is wild and it is fabulous. So it's great. You come down, you grab a, a glass of wine, and you sit down for an hour and some change, and you listen to this. It's ten dollars at the door, so it's it's super inexpensive, and you know it's it's worth coming to. Michael Hewitt, who directed Yankee Tavern, which is their show that's up right now, also directs the um, the PTP radio cavalcade players and just has done a great job with it especially with the audio production end of it there are sound effects and things like that and and the music that he pulls in so it's a show worth coming to see it's october 27th it is at 7 30 p.m i believe although maybe at eight so check the prospect theater project uh website p prospect theater project uh, dot org uh to find out the specifics on that i should know that and i don't but all right. i'll i'll edit that in later maybe they'll forgive you yeah oh here's open let's see so that's that and then the staying at, at prospect they have the prospect theater project the play reading project and that is coming up October seventh. Uh, it is. He, they're presenting, and this is just a. They just do a reading of, of a play, mm-hmm. and these are often discovery plays, like things that they're looking at doing potentially, or just things that they've discovered that are interesting. Um, this time, they're going to be presenting the love song of J. Robert Oppenheimer. One day only. Refreshments served pre-show talkback session afterwards. Is that Oppenheimer? Oppenheimer. 
I, w- I would assume is that it the is. Oppenheimer. Yeah, I think it is. Well, here's the here's the blurb. I'll, okay. I'll use. It says, "Do I dare disturb the universe?" J. Robert Oppenheimer's rise and fall erupt in this kaleidoscopic play, exploring questions of faith, conscience, and the consequences of the never-ending pursuit of knowledge. Act One: Math. The fevered wartime drive to build the first nuclear weapon by a collection of previously academic theoretical physicists, many of them Jews fleeing Hitler's Germany. Success turns to horror when the gadget is dropped first on Hiroshima and then on Nagasaki. Act 2, Aftermath. Oppenheimer confronts his conscience. Russia turns from ally to enemy. The Red Scare is in full swing as we shift to the courtroom. Oppenheimer's wife, Kitty, drinks. J. Edgar Hoover does the Dance of the Seven Veils. And this is where it goes off the rails slightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer to the seven veils and the father of the atomic bomb has his security clearance revoked, cast out of the world he helped create. In a flash that is the end of his life, J. Robert Oppenheimer paces the desert of the Trinity test site, wrestling with his memories and one scary, sexy, unpredictable demon, Lilith, Hebrew mythology's first woman cast out of even Eden for refusing to behave. Hissing in his ear, she goads him to admit when he refuses to acknowledge an anger that mirrors her own. Opie, Opie, I guess, is haunted by actions, decisions, and a trinity of women, mother, wife, kitty, and lover, Jean Tatlock. Her suicide is never far from his mind. Her communist ties are never far from the government's. So, a lot of stuff going on there. I really want to see that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Why? I think I'm working house for it, so I'll definitely be there. But, yeah, that's... That's not like the most fascinating thing I've heard all day. I'm really interested in this one. Yeah, it's going to be good. So, yeah, so come out and see that. I'll I'll make sure that the correct date is in the show notes, and we'll talk more about it uh, probably next week. But that is the, the PTP Play Reading Project at Prospect Theater Project. Last thing we're, we'll go into here is it is opening weekend for Pride and Prejudice at Merced College. And this runs September 28th through October 7th. I won't talk about it much now because in just a minute, we're going to go to an interview with the director, Karen Heidelbach. And so what I will say about it is it's a gr- the interview is great. Definitely listen to it because I think after you do, you're going to want to get, no, no matter what you think about Pride and Prejudice or what you've seen in the past, this is a version. It's an adaptation that you're going to want to watch. So, Absolutely. So that's that. So that's uh, that's what's going on around the valley. So next, what we're going to do is we're going to go and talk to, well, I'm going to talk to Karen Heidelbach and just get a little bit of information about Pride and Prejudice at Merced College Theater. We'll be back right after that. So I am here with Karen Heidelbach, who is directing the upcoming production of Pride and Prejudice at Merced College Theater. Karen, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I think as, um, you know, as good as I can be on a final dress rehearsal day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you go into production this weekend. How is How is everything looking going into the last few days here? Oh, the last few days have been so great. Um, you know, it's it's interesting with with Tech Week. I mean, you know how it goes. You know, the beginning of Tech Week is always so sketchy, and then you know, magic happens and people pull together, and you know, things that you had in the back of your mind as an actor are crystallized, and the costumes come on, and you know, everything just comes together it's looking really good awesome very good well i am looking forward to it and i know there are a lot of other people in the audience that are as well we've gotten a lot of good uh a lot of good feedback going into the performance can you tell me tell me a little bit about this particular it's a pride and prejudice obviously a a well-known uh work of work of literature what can you tell me about this specific adaptation this is kate hamill's adaptation and she not only has adapted Pride and Prejudice, but also Sense and Sensibility, Vanity Fair, Mansfield Park. She particularly enjoys adapting historical novels. And she has sort of an interesting, or for me, I find her perspective really, really interesting because it has a a little tiny sense of absurdity to it when she, you know, pulls her play together. It is 
very episodic yet ensemble driven um, so that it's, you know, it doesn't really have the feel of that sort of, you know, sometimes what ends up being a very stuffy production of something. It's, it's very fun and it moves along really, really quickly. And I don't know, I've really enjoyed uh, her adaptation. It's a little tiny bit macabre. Diane Kaur, who did our costumes, described it. I think it was last night um, during the run. She's like, it's odd, but it's beautiful. And I think that that, you know, really sums it up quite well, in addition to the fact that, you know, the odd parts make it really just terribly funny. She asks specifically for a few characters to be cast um, cross-gendered. So we do have a couple of the female characters that are being played by male actors, which gives you a totally different perspective and really draws out the issues of, you know, of women, particularly in that time and also now. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's now I'm even more intrigued uh, to see to see this thing. I'm so excited. I think the audience will be a little bit surprised in that uh, it's not going to be precisely as they expect that. Well, that's great, especially with something that's been around for so long. And I, I mean, you know, if any anybody who's been through a lit class at any point has read the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where you know we know the story pretty well, and you know, like adapting Shakespeare, you know, we can take what has kind of become mythic, at least for a lot of women and and you know people who have enjoyed Jane Austen. And I think Jane Austen would just really think it was great. And, you know, in terms of the uh, the adaptation. Yeah, I'm yeah, I am absolutely sure that she would based on what you're saying. That's that's one of the things I like about Jane Austen is that, you know, as much as she wrote in in a very specific style in the way we think of it, there's so much that's kind of subversive and buried in there. Yes, exactly. What made you select this particular piece? Was it just the adaptation specifically? Was it just kind of the the desire to do uh, to do the literary work, or what was it that that made you jump on this as something you wanted to to produce with the college? Well, I like the fact that you know it's a it's a historical name, you know that that people recognize. I like to offer you know my students um, the opportunity to do things that are a little bit different, you know, when they're in college. Because you don't often get the chance to do, you know, those types of plays out in in the real world. Once you graduate and you go out and you have to make a living and, you know, all of those good things. Sometimes the more interesting plays aren't aren't given, they aren't produced very often. But she, (laughs) I was just reading the other day that currently that this play is the ninth most produced play in the United States right now um, for this particular uh, year. Really? Yeah, which I didn't didn't know until uh, you know we were far you know into rehearsal that she's you know she's an up and coming playwright. Um, she's also an actress. She actually originated the role of uh, Lizzie Bennet in her own play. Oh wow! Yeah, and I I like her a lot. You know, I I like the I like the playwright. You know, I like her her vision of things. And the two other shows. Well, we're doing a, a co-production with Shakespeare Fest, um, so obviously we're doing a male playwright there, and we're also doing a Tony Kushner play in the spring. So I really wanted to choose a female playwright uh, and have a a female perspective here in the in the fall semester. And then I just really liked how this adaptation is really ensemble driven. It really relies on all of the cast um, rather than just being about Lizzie and Mr. Darcy. It's 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 really about everybody. Oh, that sounds that sounds really cool. Uh, tell me a little bit now. You mentioned that uh, you mentioned that Diane Core has done your costume design. Tell me a little bit about the rest of your production design. What's the you know what's behind the production design? Who's done what, and uh, what does it all look like? Well, fortunately at Merced College, we have Chad Phillips as our technical director and set designer and lighting designer. <laughs> Um, and because the play moves so quickly, uh, it, it, the set is very fluid. <laughs> so we have pieces coming in and out. Um, and of course the cast is, is part of all of those transitions. And we've kept it as close to the Regency era as possible, but there are a few moments in the play that are a bit 
nonlinear or anachronistic where you can see elements that don't quite fit for uh, reasons that are, I think, clear in the play. And Chad's done, you know, as he usually does, he's done a great job lighting it as well. So that, you know, it's got a beautiful palette and it, you know, we have the, the Regency era costumes that are looking great on Chad's sets. So the design moves through the play very, very quickly. Uh, nothing is uh, stationary, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's the, the pictures that I've seen uh, that have come out already are, are beautiful. I mean, costume sets, everything that I've seen looks really, really good. So again, you know, we talk a lot on this show just about the the quality of what you produce there, and uh, you you know both in terms of performance and and just your your technical staff is is always top notch. So that is something that audiences should be getting out and seeing more of. I you know I always ask this of directors when I have them on the show during the the process of producing the show during the rehearsal process and and just kind of putting things together was there anything that jumped out at you or kind of surprised you uh something maybe that you didn't expect or maybe something that was a challenge through the course of the production well i have um working in educational theater there are always surprises (laughs) (laughs) um and i have a ton of new students this semester so it's uh the cast is a really good mix of very seasoned actors and you know people that this is their first time they've ever been on a stage which is wonderful to watch because i love watching uh, actors learn from each other and watching them grow over the course of a, a rehearsal period especially those who, who are having to really rise to the challenge or you know reach beyond what their own expectations of themselves are the the play was hard harder i think than they thought you know that it has uh, a whole lot more depth and nuance i think than than people expected you know for me i i realized that it it moves a lot quicker the play moves a lot quicker than i expected that um, the pacing of it is is really you know important, which I love. I love plays like that where you are going at a breakneck pace and then you know you stop for that that you know one uh, really strong pause, you know where the audience can can take a breath and and really take in um, what's happened, and then it you know it picks right back up again and goes again at a breakneck pace, and the actors are really starting to discover that. You know, this this week, you know, as sound elements come in um, and the music and, you know, there are two balls that happen over the course of the play, too. And just the differentiation between those, you know, quiet scenes between characters and then these huge parties where, you know, women are were essentially put on display in a line to be chosen as dance partners, you know. So there's just... Uh, there's just so many varying levels of, you know, different types of scenes for the for the actors to get, uh, you know, sort of pushed and pulled within. That was a, a bit of a surprise, I think, for, for me um, as well as young actors to realize, oh, my gosh, I've got to play all these things. And then, you know, one minute I'm over here and I'm in tears and the next minute, you know, I'm dancing. And, you know, that can always <laughs> once you start to feel the arc of the play is really, you know, when you see those actors sort of, you know, liven up and, and embrace living, living in the, in those moments. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, when you talk about that and you talk about how quickly things move and the breakneck pace and the moving back and forward, this is not something that I think your average viewer is going to have in their head going into a, a, a Jane Austen piece, right? This is. <laughs> right. One of, the, one of the cool things that Kate Hamill brings out in her adaptation is this concept of that, that finding a husband at this particular point or making a match, as she refers to it in the play, is a game. You know, that it's sort of, it's this game that is played that, you know, you win or you lose. And, you know, depending on if, you know, if you're the woman and you made the right match versus the wrong match and how, you know, if you don't come with a dowry, how that affects the rest of your life. And, you know, she calls for she calls for that 
to be sort of blocked into the play in a weird way so that it 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 feels very much sometimes like a bit of a boxing match without the actual boxing wow yeah that's that's really interesting yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so and i that's you know another one of the things that i really loved about it that you know that it's it's a game but it's not you know it's 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 people's lives and their livelihood and you know that your match at this particular point in the early 1800s can make or break the rest of your life really good stuff well uh, just one last question for you karen uh, before i let you go here uh if if there's one thing that you want to tell people who are listening to this that that will really make them come out and see or, or one reason why they need to come and see uh, Pride and Prejudice, uh, what would that one thing be? What would you give them? I would say that the play is has gravity. It has pertinence. Um, that this story, even though it is a couple centuries old now, that it still <laughs> it still plays to an audience um, in a very emotional and heartfelt way, and, and that while that is all happening, you're gonna laugh and you're gonna have fun, and you're going to see a bunch of really great student actors um, kill it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds. <laughs> well, that sounds good to me. That's I'm convinced. So that's uh, th that works for me. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being on with me today. Uh, once again, talking to Karen Heidelbach about Pride and Prejudice at Merced College Theater. This opens this weekend, uh, which is September 28th. It's going to run through October 7th. We will have more details in the Around the Valley segment as well as in the show notes. But Karen, just once again, thanks for coming on. And I am looking forward to, to seeing the show when it goes up. Thanks for having me, Andrew. All right. Well, we're back after that. That was a great, uh, great interview with Karen. She had a lot of really great stuff to say. Once again, Pride and Prejudice opens this weekend at Merced College Theater. Get out and see it. This show and this adaptation are going to be amazing. Diane Kaur on costumes, a very good friend of ours, and we know that she does a great job with costumes. Uh, you know, Chad Phillips on, on set and lighting design as well, and he always knocks it out of the park there, so... Nothing but good to say about that. Absolutely. Yep. Go see the show. Go see the show. Well, I think that's all we've got for today. So thanks for joining us again this week for Phoenix Talk Radio. Phoenix Talk Radio is a production of the Phoenix Podcast Network. If you're looking to connect with the Phoenix Podcast Network, you can email us at phoenixpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also search for us on Facebook or tweet us at Podcast Phoenix on Twitter as well. The Phoenix Podcast Network is an affiliate of the Phoenix Creative Collective. Phoenix Creative Collective can be reached at phoenixccmerced at gmail.com and are also on Facebook and Twitter at phoenixccmerced. Well, that's all we've got for you this week, but we do look forward to seeing you next week on Phoenix Talk Radio. Until then, get out there and make, or at least experience, some art. Some art.